Lord, we come before you and just ask that you bless this time as we look at the word. You, you help us to see what, what you'd have us to see from this individual that we're going to look at. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, Numbers chapter 22. Uh, we just looked at uh, the battle with the Amorites and how they conquered, conquered that territory. And now they're getting ready to continue their trip. And so we're going to look at the, the next part of their trip. Verse 1. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side of the Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all the Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, now shall the company lick up all that are around about us as the ox licks up the grass from the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was, was the king of the Moabites at the time. So we're going to stop there for just a moment. We have the children of Israel. They've beat the Amorites. And they're on the border of Moab. And Moab, if you looked at the, the map that I gave you, is, is right below Ammon because of the long way that they went around and so here they are ready to come in and it says that they knew what had happened to the Amorites and this is we're going to see this as a recurring theme as they go into battle is that they remember they know what's going on they also remember what went on in Egypt approximately 40 years because we're getting real close to the end of the 40 year travel here. So there people also remember what happened to Egypt 40 years earlier from the Israelites. And so their people are afraid of them. They're afraid of their God. They're afraid of the people. They don't know. They know that Egypt was wiped out. They went, they fought the Amorites. They wiped them out. They're going to, every place they go, they're going to win these battles and the people are going to be afraid. And it says that they were sore afraid, or they were exceedingly afraid, and they were distressed. They were, they were sick with dread. Have you ever seen or know somebody who's been sick with dread? Yes, me. Yeah. They make themselves, they're, they're, they're so worried, so scared, that they make themselves literally, physically sick. And this is, this is what's going on. They're, they're looking at the people of Israel coming in on them, and they are to the point of physical sickness. And he says unto the elders of Midian, now Midian is a little, quite a bit further south and, and west. But if you remember, Moses' wife was from Midian. Midian. And the Midians tend to be a follower of the one God. Not just, not, not Jewish, but they follow God as much of the Persian empire has going to do so we see this idea and he says to them these people are going to destroy everything they come in contact with just like an ox eats up all the grass okay and if you've ever seen a field where has been overused by oxen or cattle or or sheep or even worse cattle hurt you know the cattle herders hated the sheep because the sheep actually pulled up every bit of it but Cattle can strip land down to the roots. Overgrazed. Overgrazed, down to the roots. And, and he's saying, this people are going to be like that. They're going to take everybody who's in their way, and they're going to conquer them, 
and destroy them. So they're fearful because they remember Egypt, they remember Moab, uh, the Amorites, they remember all the other battles that they've had, and they keep winning because God is on their side. And so in verse 5 we see him, He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Bethor, which is in the river, which is by the river of the land of the children of the, his people, and called to him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against us. Come now, therefore, I pray you, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Preadventure I might, pre I shall prevail, and we may smite them, and I may drive them out of the land, for I know that who that he whom you blessed is blessed, and he whom you cursed is cursed. So he calls to a prophet, a follower of God, and some people question whether he's a follower of God because of his actions, but the idea that who he blesses is blessed and who he curses is cursed seems to indicate that he is a follower of Jehovah, okay? Uh, and that he's listened listen to. And we're going to see that God is the one that seems to be talking to him, so we're going to say he is a prophet of God. And ba Balak is saying, you know, we look at this, he says, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, so he knows where they came from. And he says, Behold, they cover the face of the earth. And we think about this, we've already talked, there's probably somewhere, we know that there's 600,000 soldiers. That are, that's the men between 20 and, and, and 50. Most of them are probably married, so you've got about a million and a million, uh, 1.2 million adults, and most of them probably have some kids. And in this day and age, three, four kids were not uncommon, but even if it's only two kids, we're over three million people, you know, or we're at three million people, so it is believed that there's about three million Jews wandering around. And can you imagine three million people all wandering around? I mean, uh, I don't know how big Phoenix area is. It's a couple million or something. Maybe like San Diego wandering. Is that how big San Diego yeah. is? Okay, it'd be like the entire population of San Diego just getting up and wandering around as a group. Okay, and San Diego covers a lot of territory as a city. And it would be, you know, if you just imagine that many people just moving around, going from place to place. Just devouring everything and it's bad. Yeah. You know, they've been good. They've been buying things. They've been paying for things. They've told everybody, just let us pass through and we'll pay, you know, we'll stay on the highways. And, but can you imagine how long a line three million people would be on a road? Uh, it would be miles and miles of road that are covered by three million people, even if it's six, seven, eight, nine, ten abreast. You're going to have a huge line. So he says, there's this huge people, and they're, and they're on my border. They're against my, they're on our border. And we, he, he forgot to tell them, we told them they can't come through. Okay, because remember, we already talked. They had asked for permission to go through, and he said no. But he's afraid of the people. And he says, come. He knows the reputation of Balaam. If Balaam blesses somebody, they get blessed. If they curses them, they get cursed. And this is, he's speaking with the power of God. And he says, you know, come and curse them. And this idea of cursing is to speak something that will make them powerless. Okay, he knows that they're great warriors. He knows that they go to battle. 
they're going to, he, he believes he's going to be defeated. And if you go into battle believing you're going to be defeated, you're going to be defeated. Just plain and simple. If you don't think you're going to win, you're not going to win. You know, if you go in thinking you win, you may or may not win. But if you go in thinking you're going to lose, and believe me, I've, this happens in sports all the time. If a team is absolutely convinced they're going to lose, they'll find a way to lose. Uh, there's, there's, there won't be a surprise. Same thing in military conquest. If you think you're going to lose, you better not even go to battle because you're going to find some way to lose. And so he says, these people are too mighty, so curse them. And then maybe I can win. Yeah. He's going, Balaam, if you curse them, maybe I can win. He's still not even sure that he can win, even with Balaam cursing them. He thinks he understands how strong they are. And so we see this whole play going on. Balaam, come. Come and see us. And so we look at verse 7. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. And they came unto Balaam, and they spoke unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. All right, so he sends... Balak sends princes. And we're going to find out these are low-level princes because he's, he's later going to send greater. And they come with money. Okay. These prophets at this time that were blessing and cursing people were basically profiteering. And this is why people aren't sure that he's a prophet of the God. Because, you know, God just says, you know, as told the Jews and, and all through time, you're not to go out and use his word as a profit-making place. You know, uh, contrary to what some of our televangelists and te you know, radio evangelists do today where they try to make all their money and, and fleece the people, this is what Balaam was trying to do. Give me money and I will bless or curse. And he was getting rich at it. And he said, stay that night. And he says, I will bring you word again as the Lord shall speak unto me. And so it indicates that he's going to go to God. And we're going to hear God speak to him. So this is why there's great controversy as to who exactly Balaam was as far as being a prophet. If nothing else, he wasn't a very mature follower of God. And that's probably where he's really at. He's not a real mature follower of God, but he is praying to God and God is talking to him and he does listen to God. Not, perfect, not perfectly. But doesn't that how we do quite often as Christians? We don't perfectly listen to God. We go, we know what God wants and we decide, well, God, I don't know that you know what you're talking about, so I'm going to go do my own thing anyway. And then God disciplines us and we finally come back and say, okay, God, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done it. There. I should have done it your way in the first place as we face consequences from it. And Balaam is going to face consequences from bad decisions that he's going to do. And so he goes, he tells him to lodge there that night and he goes to pray. Verse 9, And God came unto Balaam and said, What are these men with you? And Balaam said to, unto God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt which cover the face of the earth. Now come, curse them, preadventure I should be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Here's where we know that he's talking to God, okay? Because he's going, hey God, you know, I've got an opportunity to make a little bit of money here. I've got to, you know, these, these people are 
bothering uh, Balak, and he wants me to curse them. He's very upfront with God. He's very upfront saying, God, do, you know, and basically, should I, shall, I, shall I curse them? And God says, no. And he looks and he goes, they are a blessed people. Now, does this ring any bells for you? They are a blessed people. Who was promised this? Moses. Uh, before Moses. Abraham. Abraham. He goes, you are a blessed people. Who you bless shall be blessed. Who you curse shall, who, those who bless you shall be blessed. Those who curse you shall be cursed. This is the promise that God has for them, that they are blessed. And God has taken them. And you're right, Moses also, and Isaac got this, and, and Jacob got this. And Moses is saying, you're taking these people out. They're blessed. They're going to win battles. They're, they're going to honor me. And here Balaam is getting the answer, no, you may not go curse these people. Now remember, the, these princes have come in with probably camels or donkeys loaded up with the reward. Okay, here's your reward. We're ready to pay you. And so there's some animals filled with the reward. It said the, price, the, the, the reward of divination or the price of his services is what it really means. We, you know, we're asking you to curse them and we're ready to pay you. We're, you know, just curse these people and here's your money. And Balaam's looking at that money saying, I sure want that money. And God says, no. Uh, so... But again, we do the same thing. We do the same type of thing. We look at saying, well, gee, God, I just don't know. There, it looks so good. I can, I can, if I don't follow you, God, there's money over here. I can get a better job or, or there's, you know, blessings over here by, by what I think I see. And God says no. And so Balaam, Balaam goes in on verse 13. Balaam rose up in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Get you into your land. The Lord refuses to give me leave to go with you. So you can almost hear that plead in there. I really wanted to go with you, but God won't let me. Mm. You, know, you, you kind of get that feeling. You know, the Lord refuses to let me go. And you can almost hear that tone in his voice saying, you know, I really wanted to go with you. I, I thought it was a great idea, but I can't. So... The princes of Midian rose up and they went into Balak and they said, Balaam refuses to come to us, coming to you. And Balak sent again more princes, more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balak and said, Thus saith Balaam and said, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray you, hinder you from coming unto me, for I will promote you unto very great honor and will do whatsoever you say unto me. Come therefore, I pray, and curse these people. So Balak is persistent. He sends closer to the top, okay? He's, he says it's more honorable. Princes more and more honorable. So he's sending a larger number of princes and higher up in rank than whatever, whoever he sent before. And we listen to his promise that he says, let nothing hinder you. Okay? He's basically saying, I don't care what your God says. I don't care what, you know. It is obvious here that Balak does not understand the power behind Balaam's power. Okay? He thinks this is Balaam. You know, he somehow thinks that when Balaam says something, it comes true just because of who Balaam is. And this is not uncommon out there. 
In the world of witchcraft and Wicca, they believe that they have the power to speak and say and don't realize it's the demons that, that, are, that are doing it for them. And they somehow begin to think that they have the power. I had a run-in one time with one of the Wicca, top Wicca guys in, in Kingman. And he goes, you don't know the power that I command. I go, I don't care. My power is greater than yours. Because he felt that he commanded his power. And I just knew who's, who side I stand on, who doesn't let this other powers have victory. And Balaam is saying, I know God said no. And Balak is coming and saying, come anyway. <laughs> come anyway. If you speak it, it'll happen. And then that goes back to what he said. You know, who you curse is cursed and who you bless is blessed. So Balak does not understand the power. And we look at Balaam's, you know, Balaam's going to be sorely tempted on this. He goes, because we see, and he goes, I will promote you to, with very, unto very great honor and do whatever you say. Okay, basically saying, name your price. <laughs> name your price and you're going to get it. Because Balak is this concerned about the Jewish people. Can you see the setup here that Balaam's having? You know, he really kind of wanted to go in the first place and God said no. And you could hear that hesitation in his voice, you know, just the way he said. God has refused to let me go. And here, all of a sudden in front of him is all the money he really wants in the position that he could ever want. This is quite a temptation for him. It's going to be a big temptation for him. And so we see in Balaam in verse 18, And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Okay, his answer so far is good. Okay, he should have said, God's already answered me. I cannot come for me, with you no matter what. But here Balaam hedges his bet. Okay, God's already told him no. God is not going to change his mind. And when God tells us no, we need to understand that no means no. Unfortunately, we as humans don't usually like the word no, do we? Uh, when God says no, we're always hoping that maybe it's a maybe. You know, maybe he's going to change his mind because we either have done it ourselves as kids or we can remember when our kids have done it. We've said no. And they get that look on their face and the pouty look and they ask over and over and over and over and over again because they know that there's, unless you've had a habit of never changing your mind, which very few of us do, they know if they ask enough, we may change our mind. And this is where Balaam's at with God. Maybe if I ask him again, he might just say yes because, man, this offer is just too good to pass up. And he goes into the second part of this. And he says, first he says, if Balak was to give me all of this, everything he owns, I can't do more than what God says. Verse 19, now therefore I pray you, tarry you also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me. He already knows what the Lord's going to say. He really does. He's hoping for a different answer, but he knows the answer. This is, again, where we have to be careful. When we know what God's answer is, we need to be careful not to continue to, to ask. And if we're looking at something and the word of God says, God says no, then we better quit asking because he's not going to change his mind. And this goes into the kinds of times when I've, when I've shared with, when young, young people will ask, you know, should I get married to this person who's not saved? And I go, absolutely not. The Bible says, thou shalt not 
be unequally yoked. And they go, well, I might win them to Christ. And I go, yeah, there's a small, small, small chance that you might, but there's a greater chance that you're going to ruin your life. And God says no, so don't even think about it. And then they'll go ahead and do it anyway. Or beg God for it and, and then go saying, well, God, I think, said yes. No, you said yes, but... And we're going to see Balaam's going to do the same thing. We're going to see Balaam doing the same exact thing here. And he goes in verse 20, And God came unto Balaam at night and said, If the men come and call you, arise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto you, you shall, and that shall you do. Okay, so God says, if they call you in the morning, go with them, but only say what I tell you to say. Verse 21. And Balaam rose up early in, early in the morning, saddled up his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Do you notice anything missing from this statement? They didn't ask him. He just got up and said, okay, God said I could go with them, and left. Okay, he is at this point in disobedience. He hasn't been asked a second time to go uh, that morning to go with them. He just got up in the morning and decided, okay, God gave me this thing that I can go. He forgot that they had to ask. And I don't believe God was going to let them ask. And so we see him actively being disobedient at this point. Very actively being disobedient to God and going forth with this idea of, God has already told me I could go. He just forgot half the statement that God gave him. And so you already know there's going to be trouble. He's being in disobedient. And we see the point of disobedience was that he decided when he woke up in the morning, I'm just going. God gave me, God gave me this conditional. If they ask, I can go. So I'm not waiting for them to go ask. I'm just going. I'm going to go, I'm going to go see them. So verse 22 and God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for, the, for an adversary against him. Now he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Who's missing on this group? The princes. The princes. Mm -hmm. Okay. He not only didn't wait for them to ask him, he left them behind. <laughs> okay. This is as disobedient as you can get. You know, this is hugely disobedient. Verse 23, And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey turned aside and went out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the donkey to turn her into the way. All right, so his donkey just decides, I'm, going, I'm not going through the angel. I'm going to go out in the middle of the field. Pretty smart donkey. The donkey's probably afraid that if that angel swings that sword... The don she might, her head might be dropped off as well as his. So she runs off in the field, and of course, Balaam, being the master of the donkey, gets upset and starts beating the donkey. Okay, and any of us probably would. If he didn't, he didn't see the angel, so he beats the donkey and gets angry with the donkey. And then it says, next, in verse 24, But the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. So now he's in a narrower path. And when, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her. <laughs> and again, poor donkey. poor donkey, you know, just trying to protect, protect him and her, you know, runs him against the wall, and, and, and as we would do as ourselves, you know, he beats her some more. 
And we see this pattern going on. He's being disobedient. The donkey is trying to help him get back into obedience <laughs> and save his life. He doesn't see what's going on. How many times do we just keep going forward in spite of all the obstacles that God puts in our path sometimes? God, I'm going to do this. I don't care that it's tough. I'm going to persevere. And I'm going to push through all these closed doors and, and hardships you're putting up in front of me. And I'm going to keep going. And God is saying, don't. Don't do it. And we've all probably been there at times when we have pushed our way through doors and then had to suffer the consequences for having pushed ourselves through the doors and say, because I thought it was a good idea and I keep pushing through and I keep pushing through and I keep pushing through and then God says, okay, fine. You know, we're going to let you suffer the consequences for your decision. And so here we see the consequences coming. Verse 30, uh, 26. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the donkey with his staff. Okay, the donkey decided, I can't go forward, I can't go to the side, I'm just going to lay down. <laughs> this is a pretty smart donkey. <laughs> you know, trying to help him, the finally says, I'm just laying, I'm not moving. And gets beat again. You know, poor donkey. <laughs> Then it says in verse 20, And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto you that you have struck me these three times? Now, if a donkey turned around and talked to me, or any animal turned around and talked to me in a voice of, with real words, I would be uh, kind of shocked. I don't know that I would answer. Huh? Yeah. You, know, you would be like, uh, what's going on here? You know, the animals, you know, we talk about our animals talking to us and sounding like they, but we know that they don't actually hold conversations with us. And even, even in the parrot family and everything, they repeat things and don't, you, and don't make a cogent conversation out of what they say. They, they say words that they're repeating, but, and they will respond to us as, as taught sometimes, but they don't really string those sentences together in a, in a speech. <laughs> okay, But the funny thing is, in verse 29, And Balaam said unto the donkey, Because you have mocked me, I would that there were a sword in my hand, for now would I kill you. you know, this, he just talks back to the donkey. It's like, he's like, he has this conversation with the donkey every day. This is nothing out of the normal. You know, kind of reminds me of Eve talking to the serpent back in Garden of Eden. And she's, she's not shocked that the, the serpent's talking to her. She just talks back to it. Here Balaam is talking to the donkey like this is something that happens every day. Animals talk to me all the time. You know, and, and we know that that's probably not the case. The animals aren't always talking to him. But it actually shows you the state of mind that Balaam is in. The donkey talks to him which is a miracle in and of itself, he just immediately starts talking to the donkey and doesn't realize that the miracle has happened. Somehow he doesn't even re realize. He goes, yeah, you've been so bad. If I had a sword, I would, I would have killed you. And the donkey goes back and he says, you mocked me. You know, basically, you haven't been obedient. You're making fun of me by, by running off into a field, you know, running into the wall. Now you're laying down. 
You're not paying, you're not doing what you're supposed to. And in verse 30, and the donkey said unto Balaam, Am I not your donkey upon which you have ridden ever since I was your, yours unto this day? Was I ever want to do so unto you? Okay, so the donkey says, basically, I've been a good donkey. You know, I've, I've, I've been doing what you're supposed to do. Have, have I ever done this before? And again, Balaam talks to him like there's no big deal. And he goes, no, you know, no, you haven't. You've been a good donkey, basically. <laughs> You've got to picture, to me, this is one of the most comical situations in the Bible. You know, riding along, talking to this donkey as if this is an everyday, normal occurrence. I would be freaked out. <laughs> if, if I had an animal that turned around and started talking to me, and then not only talking to me, but defending itself uh, with, you know, haven't I been a good animal for you? I, I usually, I'm very obedient. I, I do what you want me to do. What's the problem? <laughs> you know, and he's agreeing with him. Yeah, you've been a good, you, you've been a good donkey. You haven't, you haven't done this in the, in the past. When we go out of our mind and disobey God, we sometimes and oftentimes will do things that make no sense whatsoever if we were being rational. And I use out of our mind on purpose. When we are walking in the flesh, because we are new creations, new beings with a new way of thinking and a new heart, when we are purposely, actively sinning, as Balaam is doing, we are out of our correct mind. We're walking in the flesh's mind, mm -hmm. which is supposed to be crucified and dead. So if we're purposely walking contrary to what God wants us to do, we are really, in all sincerity, out of our mind. Because we're not walking in the, in the righteousness of Christ. We're not walking in the spirit. We're not walking in the way God has taught us. We're walking in the dead flesh. Balaam is this point. He is totally out of his mind. He's talking to a donkey and not even recognizing it. And this donkey is saving his life. And this is something that this is used quite often. If God can use a donkey, he can use anybody is, is usually what is said. And it is true. If God can use the donkey, he can use anybody. Jesus, when the Pharisees said to him on the triumphant entry, don't you hear what they're saying? Tell them to be quiet. And his answer was, if they are quiet, the stones will praise, will cry out. God is saying, I can use anything I want, and if you want to make these people be quiet, we'll show you a real miracle, and the stones will cry out. That would be a miracle. That's, I mean, the donkey was a miracle enough, but for the stones to cry out in praise, that would be a, that would be a very interesting miracle to see. But God is saying, I will use whatever is available. He will use our circumstances quite often to discipline us, to try to bring us back into to the right way to walk. He'll use our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to try to bring us back. And you know what? Sometimes he'll use the lost world to try to drive us back into where we're supposed to be. Have, well, have you ever been in a the, the lost people, the, the, the people who aren't Christians? Have you ever had a place where somebody that's not a Christian says, what are you doing? You know, you, you claim to be a Christian. How come you're doing what you're doing? Uses the lost world to, to criticize you. I've had that happen. Where God has used people that don't know him, aren't in the word, 
Just saying little things that all of a sudden prick you to the heart. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Balaam has a donkey doing it. It could have been just about anybody or anything that he came across. We see it in other places where God will use different uh, ways. When Jacob left his father-in-law Laban, Laban came, who's not a follower of God, he's following false gods, and he goes, God has told me in a vision that I'm not to say good or bad against you, you know, and he basically criticizes, he, he gives God's message to Jacob, and Laban is not a follower of God, okay? Because remember, why did he follow after him? Because Rachel stole his gods, <laughs> stole the household gods. So he's following after him, though, why did you steal my, you left, you, you left with my kids, you left with my grandkids, and you stole my gods, you know, you, you've been very bad. And Jacob, irritated with him, you know, says, you know, go look for your gods, and if you find anybody, that person, you know, can be struck dead, not knowing that Rachel, his favorite wife, is the one that took them. And, of course, he didn't find them. But he was used to, to chastise Jacob, because Jacob probably should have said goodbye. God's told me to leave. He was afraid. And Jacob was always afraid. He was not good at standing up for himself. And God oftentimes will use individuals, maybe family members who aren't, aren't Christians, to say something to us to, to, that is actually turns out to be fairly scriptural. And, I, and I, I've had it happen, so I know it's happened. And if you think about it, you may have had people that have said something that aren't followers of God, but yet God uses their voice to speak to you. If you can use a donkey, you can use them too. And so it's important that we understand. If we get so full of ourselves thinking that we're special because God's used us, we got a problem because God can use anything. So we want to be very careful, and here the donkey is. And then we see Balaam's eyes opened up. Verse 31, And the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. He now understands what's going on. Okay, he sees the angel, he sees the sword, and his response is, as everybody who sees angels in the Bible tends fall to be, they fall flat on their face. And this is every, I, I can't think of any point where some, where, well, there may be a couple points where they doesn't say, but most of the time when somebody sees an angel, they fall on their face because of their fear. And usually they're told, stand up because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, a, not, not to be worshipped. This one doesn't tell him to stand up. So this one probably is a picture of Jesus standing in front of him to, because it says angel of the Lord, and, and we see that. And we see places where the angel takes that worship, it has to be God. And so we see in verse 13, the angel of the Lord said unto them, Wherefore have you smitten your donkey these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand you, because of your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I would have slain you and saved her alive. So Balaam is getting disciplined. Balaam, if it hadn't been for your donkey, you, know, you, you unjustly beat your donkey because the donkey saved your life. And Balaam is probably full of fear at this point. 
He knows that he left without permission. He knows that he was going because he wanted the reward. He, know he, he knows he disobeyed God. And now he knows that the angel of the Lord was standing there to kill him and the donkey saved his life three times. Can you imagine the fear in Balaam's heart at this moment? What is going to happen now? And this is very serious business for Balaam. Balaam is had his hand caught in the cookie jar type thing, and so his repentance is minimized because one thing we've said, you know, if somebody repents after they get caught and they say they're sorry, usually they're not sorry for what they did. Yeah, sorry. They're sorry they got caught. You know, if you repent before, you're, before everything blows open and, 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 and you're being facing discipline, then you can say, yes, I'm sorry because I, I, didn't, I was misbehaving. And this is why when I talk to people and they say, well, what should I do because I'm guilty, especially if they're guilty for something with the law, I'm going, go to the courts, <laughs> basically throw yourself on the mercy of the court and admit that you've done wrong. Well, I know I can't do that. Well, if you wait till you get caught, mm, you know, late. it's too late. Because then the courts do the same thing. They go, if you're caught and you're saying you're sorry, they go, no, you're not sorry that you're, for what you did. You're sorry you got caught. And you're less likely to get any leniency. If you go in ahead of time, and God's the same way. We confess what we did, and we might get away from some of the consequences for what we've done or what we deserve. But if we wait till God forces the confession out of us, he's going to say consequences are part of this punishment. Even if we go forward ahead of time, consequences may or may not, but at least God is saying, okay, you've repented. You truly have repented. Now, God knows our heart. He knows whether we have repented. But usually when we're caught, and we all know that this is true, when we're caught, we're not usually sorry that we did wrong. We're just sorry we got caught. And this has been true all our life. You know, when we were kids, we, got, you know, we weren't sorry that we ate the cake on the counter that was for dinner. You know, we, you know we're, we're sorry that mom caught us <laughs> eating the cake that was for dessert after dinner. Because uh, you know, if we did, she didn't catch us, we're going to say, nope, it wasn't me. <laughs> Not me, I didn't do it. <laughs> and this is where Balaam's at at this moment. God is standing there, ready to strike him dead. And said, your donkey has saved your life. Your donkey saved your life this time. Verse 34, And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displease you, I will go back. Even in these words you hear, Sorry, I got caught. <laughs> Do you see that? Mm-hmm. You know, I have sinned, I knew not that you were there. <laughs> okay? It's not just, I have sinned. Forgive me. It's, you know, I sinned, I didn't know you were there. He's not even at this point probably referring to having come incorrectly. His, his, his problem that he sees here is that he beat the donkey. Because he's been chastised for that too. He's got multiple things. And then he goes, oh, by the way, if it displeases you, I'll go back home. Okay, I will go back. I will turn around right now if you're displeased. So he's kind of halfway on a repentance He's ready to listen to God because he sees an angel and anybody in their right mind, if they see the angel is going to do what the angel says, 
You know, could you imagine him saying, uh, no, angel, I'm just going to keep riding forward? You know, the angel's been ready to strike him dead three times, and if he said, no, I'm going to ride forward, we know that he would be dead. He knows he would have been dead. Same thing we say when Paul saw the angel of the Lord on the road to Damascus, and Jesus talks to him, and he gets blinded and knocked off his horse. Paul could have said, no, God, I'm not going to go follow you. But nobody in their right mind... <laughs> would have said, no, I'm not following you. After you've been knocked off the horse, you hear him say, you know, I'm Jesus, it's hard to, hard to, hard to fight against me, and turned him blind. You know, we see that, right? You know, it's, you're not, that nobody, Balaam's in that same place. He's, he's, he's been out of his mind a little bit because he's been following his own way, but when he sees God's angel ready to kill him if he goes forward, He's in panic. He's now in panic mode. Okay, I wanted all this money. God kind of said maybe I could go, but I, I went before they asked me. And now, what do you want me to do, God? He's finally ready to listen a little bit. <laughs> yeah, because he's been tempted. He's been tempted. He was going to have everything he wanted, riches, title. He was going to be made a very important person. All he had to do was go curse these people that God told him he couldn't curse. And they wouldn't be cursed if he cursed them, which means he would have lost his life anyway. But it wouldn't be God losing it, taking it. It would be Balak taking it. Because if he tried to curse them on his own, they weren't going to be cursed, and Balak would have lost the battle anyway. So he's, he's very, very foolish. But yet, how often do we do just that? When we decide to go against God... We walk in foolishness. We walk in blindness. We bump into walls and, and doors and, and contrary to what God says until we decide to follow him. And God is saying in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. How often do we try to walk in our own ways, our own wisdom? And God says, no, trust in me. Trust in me and you'll get what it is that he wants to give us. And Balaam is here. He said, hey, God, if you uh, want me to turn around, I'm ready to turn around now. If that's what you want. If you're displeased, I will turn around. Do you think he knew that he was displeased? <laughs> he knew God was displeased. He knew he'd been in disobedience. Verse 35, And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word I shall speak unto you, that shall you speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. They've been somewhere be following him. They probably saw him leave, and they were probably following. And now God says, go with them. But speak only what I tell you. This is going to be tough for Balaam because he is... Wanting the reward. And I think at this point he already realizes that God's not going to let him get the reward. Mm -hmm. Because God is saying very clearly, you will speak only what I give you to speak. And Balaam is like, okay, God, let's go. But you can see wheels in the back of his mind going, you know, how can I get this reward? How can I get this reward? I got to speak only what God says. And we're going to see later on that he, he gets the reward anyway because he teaches Balak how to deceive the people. 
Verse 36, And when Balak heard that Balaam was come, he went out to meet him unto the city of Moab, which was on the border of Anan, which is on the utmost coast. And Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send unto you to, and call you? Wherefore come you not unto me? Am I not able indeed to promote you to honor? So Balak is saying, you know, why didn't you come? Here's an opportunity for Balaam to tell him who the power is and why things are going to be the way they are. And Balak is chiding him. You know, I called you. You know, I'm, I'm an important king. You should have come immediately to answer me. And we see this type of attitude in many cases. If you remember when Joseph was called out of the prison to go to Pharaoh, do you remember what it said he did? He took time to shave and put on good clothes to go to the king. He didn't go straight to the king, even though the king told him to come immediately. Daniel has done the same thing in the book of Daniel, where, he, where the king called him, and he took time to get presentable and show himself to the king, because they had certain protocols. Here, Balaam has been told to come, and he didn't come. Now, he's not the king's subject, but the king is used to being obeyed, like all kings and all people in power. When they call, they expect you to drop everything you're doing and come. Regardless of what God says, regardless of what anything else goes, they expect you to call. Rich, rich business tycoons are kind of the same way. When they, when they call somebody, they expect them to drop everything they're doing and come to their to them because they're paying top dollar you know, or, or at least willing to pay top dollar to them and they don't always understand that there's integrity in, in, in finishing the job that you're doing first before you go to them. All they want to do is say, well, I've got money, do what I want. Balak is saying the same thing. I had money, I've got rewards. I'm, I'm ready to give you honor. I'm going to promote you. I'm going to give you title. Whatever title that is, he's planning to give him. And he's saying, you should have come quicker. He's chiding him. And verse 38, And Balaam said to Balak, Lo, I am coming to you. Have I, not, I, have I now any power at all to say anything? The word of God puts in my mouth, that shall I speak. So now Balaam is putting Balak on notice. I'm not the one that speaks these. I'm not the ones that give blessing. I'm not the one that curses. I'm not the one that blesses. I only speak what I am told by God. If only we would do the same thing in all of our lives. Listen for God and speak only what he speaks. Do only what he says to do. We would avoid so much trouble in our life if we did that. <laughs> you know, how many times do we go through things and if we see it all the time. You know, I've tried everything that I can do, so I might as well pray. <laughs> Instead of making prayer the first thing we do, we a lot of times think, well, let me do everything I can because this problem, usually our thought is, this problem is just too small, too small to bother God with. And, you know, think about this. What problem that we could have as a human being would be big enough to really honestly take to God if he didn't tell us to bring all our problems to him? Okay. Whatever the worst thing I could possibly imagine in my life to God would be nothing. 
Is that correct? You know, if I'm waiting to bring a big problem to God, God's gonna, if God was wanting to have that attitude, he would go, oh, what are you bringing that small thing to me for? You know, we're being crushed under the weight, but to God it was like, you know, but God says that he wants all of our cares. He wants all of our burdens. He wants all of our, our problems. He said, Jesus said, come to me all you that are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to take all of our burdens from us and give us rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. And when, you're hooked to, when the oxen were hooked together, Jesus would be one bearing all the burden and you just have this little, little piece of wood barely doing anything so that you could help push. But he does all the work. This is where he wants us to be. He wants us to be so dependent on him that we pass all of our problems. And when we can do that, life is easy. Life is easy until we decide that, oh, it's been easy, I can, I can do some of it now. And we tend to do this quite often. God, you can have all my problems. We let him have our problems for a while, and then we go, oh, well, God, why don't you let me have some of these back? I mean, I, I feel good, I feel strong, I feel I can handle these. And we might not be that blunt, but that's really what we're saying when we say, give us some of them back. And we take them back. God, I can handle them. I've, I've grown. I've grown. And God's shaking his head, no, you haven't grown enough because if you were really smart, you just let me keep the burdens and you give me all the new ones coming your way. We need to keep in mind, God desires to take our burdens. He wants our burdens. He wants us to do what Psalms over and over has told us. Run into the strong tower. Hide in him. When bad things are happening or, or, or on the horizon, he says, hide in him. Let him take the burden and the brunt of the, of the battle because that's what he desires. He knows that we are nothing but dust. We forget that we're dust, but God always remembers that we are dust and that our lifetime is a short vapor. We sometimes think that we have something to to do or that somebody has had something to do with history but you get far enough away from that person's life and they're pretty much forgotten pretty much forgotten their day-to-day -day especially is forgotten maybe one or two parts of their life are, are remembered in America we barely remember the history of our founding fathers and we know a little bit about about uh, Thomas Jefferson a little bit about Washington and most of what most of what people remember are, isn't even true anymore and because they've been forgotten pretty much. It was only, what, 230, 40 years ago that they lived and we've forgotten about them. And we think about all the different people in history that thought they were important in their day. And they're basically forgotten. Maybe one or two things in their life remembered. And some people, nothing at all. God is saying, put all of your cares on me. Put all of your burden on me. Put everything on me. Speak what I say. Do what I want you to do. And the more we can just walk with him, the better off we're going to be. Then it says in verse 39, And Balaam went with Balak, and they came into Kirjahazoth. And Balak offered oxen and sheep and sent Balaam to the prince's that were and the princes that were with him and it came to pass that on the morrow that Balak took Balaam 
and brought him up unto the high places of Baal, that thence he might see the utmost part of the people. We look at where Balak took Balaam. Balaam, the follower of Jehovah. And where do they go? The high place of Baal, an idol. Takes him up to the high to mountain, a high mountaintop where the worship of Baal is going on and says, okay, I want you to see these people. Do you see the problem in this location that Balak chooses? That would be like us as Christians trying to worship God in a mosque. Okay? That is not his place to be worshipped. Okay? That is where Allah, the moon god, is worshipped. Okay? And we would not go there to worship our God. We would not go to a Satanist temple and try to worship God. It's just not the place where it would be correct. And here Balak is taking Balaam to a place where Baal worship is going on, or has gone on, where the idol is, where the sacrifices to the wrong god have been going on. And he says, oh, come on up here. Let's take you up to my god's location, and you can, you can give this curse. You, know, you can curse these people for me. And Balaam goes with him. And we're going to see that he gives the right answer, finally. <laughs> He's going to speak the right things. But Balak is still thinking that Balaam can just say whatever he wants. Because that's what he expects. He knows that Balaam's reputation is that if he speaks, it happens. He doesn't realize that he can only speak what the God that he serves speaks. And he's used to being false gods. Say what you want. Say what you want. It's not going to matter. And Balaam is saying, no, I can't. And he tells him, I can only say what, you know, I'm only going to be able to say what God puts in my mouth. And he already knows that what God's put in his, is going to put in his mouth is not going to be what Balak wants to hear because God's already told him, you cannot curse them. And Balaam is finally coming to, con, you, know, you know, this idea of, I can't curse these people. So you can, you can almost feel the wheels turning in his head. How am I going to stay out of trouble with Balak at this point? Because I know I'm not going to be able to curse these people. And yet Balak is pressing him hard to curse these people. And we're going to end there because we're not going to start the next chapter. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask that you help us make good decisions and follow you. And, and that you will always let us hear your voice. Make our hearts soft and tender so that we will hear your voice and follow you in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.